I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town podcast. Hey everyone, before I introduce this week's episode, just wanted to let everybody know that the City Newspaper's Best of Preliminary Voting has started now and is available on the City Newspaper's website. So please go include Food About Town under the Best Podcast category, and uh, hopefully we can win Best of Rochester again. And I want to thank everybody for having us win last year. It was awesome. So, um, and also, just so everybody knows, I will be doing a Best of Rochester preview once the final uh, once the final people are in and cover all the places I think should win for food and drink all around Rochester. So stay tuned for that and uh, go vote for us in the prelims. Thanks for listening. Of the Food Out Town podcast, I had Adam Peterson over to the studio from Normal Supper and Cocktail to talk about their event coming up this weekend at Nosh. It's on Sunday, August 27th from 11 till 3. And the event's called Not Your Father's Milkshake Part 2. And these are uh, boozy milkshakes with some interesting bases. We're talking grasshoppers, we're talking Ramos gin, creamsicle, we're talking scofflaw and white Russian. I had a preview of them the other night, and they turned out really nice, and I think it's going to be another hit. So um, we also talked about Adam's background in competition barbecue, his cool barbecue trailer where I got to know him for the first time, his work uh, working in consulting and working in different places all around Rochester, and the whole normal supper and cocktail, how that all came to be. So I uh, hope you enjoy this one. If you do, uh, check out the event this weekend at Nosh, 11 till 3 on August 27th. And it's not your father's milkshake. You'll find the event on Facebook. And you can also check out all of their other upcoming events by following them, uh, Normal Supper Club, on Facebook and Twitter. I think they're on, they're on Instagram as well. So, again, thanks for listening and have a great weekend. Well, we're in what some people might call the dog days of summer, but here in Rochester, it's been it's been completely soaked. My pool is being constructed right now, semi well, deconstructed anyways. But I'm here with somebody pleasant. Why don't you introduce yourself, sir? Well, thank you for saying I'm pleasant. Uh, Adam <laughs> Peterson, Adam Peterson, normal supper and cocktail. Pleasure to see you again, sir. Well, nice to see you as well. So, um, I don't know, let's let's kick off with uh, the reason you're here, and then we're going to talk about stuff and probably things too. Stuff and things. I, I think so. I like to talk about stuff and things. The main thing uh, we're promoting right now in the normal supper and cocktail vein is Not Your Father's Milkshake Part 2. Oh, Part 2. Part 2. It's our uh, official follow-up to a uh, very successful event we did last summer. 
part one, I imagine. Part one, the inaugural. Yeah. See, you're good. Yeah. You're good. You want you get that education. <laughs> um, part one drew almost 500 people uh, last summer, and we're hoping for even more to turn out this summer. I mean, that's pretty uh, huge. 500 people for any event. It, is it was a lot bigger, and that's why we're following it up. I started it mainly as a, as a Sunday kind of brunch special. Yeah. And the main concept behind it was to do milkshake versions of classic cocktails. Interesting idea. And expected a decent response and got a much larger response than even I was expecting. It turned into a, kind of a festival atmosphere. Well, I suppose that's without... Tr- sometimes it's events where you're trying... You're not trying to bring in the big crowds. Something just clicks with people. Well, and booze and milkshakes and ice cream. Like, where can you go wrong with that? That'll click with people. So people loved it. It was one of those things where uh, 500 people said they were coming on Facebook and 500 people actually showed up. Which is pretty much unheard of. Uh, yeah, in terms of Facebook metrics, not to get too nerdy. Uh, oh, I'm excited. Let's let, oh, let's nerd out. This well, is... to get nerdy on Facebook metrics, of course, you know, I always... I say it's one of those things where people kind of uh, sit on their bathroom break at work and click that they're interested in things. That is exactly what I do occasionally. <laughs> so I, fig- I figured on a fraction of that showing up, and uh, 500 people said they were coming, and 500 people showed up over the course of about four or five hours. That's that's a pretty impressive turnaround because, I mean, realistically, I know for everybody out there, I mean, my interested to attendance rate is probably about about a third. Yeah, and that's actually what I say when I do events like this. I figure a third of the people who say they're going to come actually yeah. show up. And, and I think that's reasonable, right? Because right. mostly I'm using it to keep track of things. Exactly. And I can't. I just can't go to everything. I just can't. No, but, it's hard. But this, uh, well, we had beautiful weather for it. We had the great turnout, and what surprised me was then afterwards, we had such a great response to it. I had people telling me they drank. We offered, I think, four or five different milkshakes, and I had numerous people tell me they tried all of them, which is, to me, an insane amount of ice cream in one day. But It's a lot of, I mean, one milkshake's a lot of ice cream. I think that speaks to the quality of, you know, what we tend to do with normal. And so um, we, we're taking our act on the road this year. We're taking it um, to Rochester. We're taking it to Nosh. The guys at Nosh were nice enough to host us this year. Because last year was down in Honey Eye Falls. Down in Honey Eye Falls last year. This year we were taking it on the road to uh, Rochester. We actually had a ton of people come from greece webster i mean they came from all over so we're trying to give them a little bit more of a centralized location this year hopefully a little easier for people to get to um and like i say nosh was kind enough to host us so i'm calling it the uh, hopefully the collaboration of the summer between myself and then chef joe joe z as i call him over at nosh who's just doing an outstanding job with the kitchen over there you know what i gotta say i'm consistently impressed with how much they are reaching out to the community of creative food people here in town, um, I mean they're they're doing some really cool stuff with uh, with Kimberly Ross. I was going to say it's a Tuesday right now, and I was talking to the guys oh. like there. She's releasing her new like summer sushi menu today. Yeah, so they're 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 really great at doing well. And I think you know you see a lot of guys doing a lot more uh, collaborative stuff. Uh, Kevin McCann is one who comes to mind too. Kevin does a lot of great collaborative stuff. I mean he's. He's a good man, and I really appreciate how much he reaches out as well. Great guy, and I think there's something to be. There's so much talent in this city, culinary wise. That and um, you know, I've I've seen it a lot more with, uh, especially on like the beer side of things. You see a ton of collaboration. I think it's great now that on the culinary side of things, we're doing that. 
what's great for me with this event is Chef Joe taking care of all the food. I did the food menu and the drink menu last year, and it was a, it was a tad overwhelming just to keep up with it all. Um, so this year, Chef Joe's kind enough to take care of the food. I can concentrate on the milkshakes. Um, he's going to do some some great kind of brunch festival style fare, and then on our end, on the drink side. Um, we're doing four milkshakes again this year. We got uh, two favorites from last year. We're doing our grasshopper and our white Russian again. I mean, those are those are almost tailor made to be turned into milkshakes. I thought so, and um, you know, just two. I mean, just on their own cocktail wise, they immediately came to mind. Um, and then we got two newbies. Um, uh, we put it up on the Facebook page today. Actually, a picture of the Scofflaw, which is a classic whiskey cocktail. Okay. Um, we're doing that guy with uh, whiskey and cherry ice cream and grenadine syrup and uh, jelly cherry slices. And then actually what kind of gave me the idea for the whole event, one of my famous, favorite drinks is the uh, Ramos Gin Fizz, if you're familiar with that. I'm somewhat familiar. Why don't you explain it? Because it is a, it is a bit of a different drink. It's, it's, a, it's definitely different in that it includes an egg white. Nice. So it's gin, it's heavy cream, it's egg white, it's orange blossom water, um, there's generally some bitters in there. And when you make it properly, the classic recipe called for all that stuff to be shaken for about 12 minutes. Right, to, to actually build up a structure because you get this like standout foam above the glass yeah, exactly. if you're shaking it properly. Yeah, and so where I kind of got the inspiration for it is um, at pretty much every bar I've ever run, I've put that drink on the menu. Um, mainly because I don't know if I'm a sadist or I don't know if that would be sadist or masochist, whatever it is. I like to punish myself a little bit, I guess. Um, it's a great core workout when you're shaking that thing, is what I will say. And when I got done with it, I would serve it to people and pretty much nine times out of 10, they would say it's an adult milkshake. Yeah. And, uh, so that's really why I started it. Um, I wanted to do that drink in milkshake form. So we're going to be doing that one as well, uh, with some gin and, uh, everything's going to include, you know, uh, a few brothers bitters out of Rochester. We're gonna do uh, like some yuzu uh, lime candy with that, and um, so four milkshakes total. And I can't wait to see what Chef Joe bangs out for the food. It's gonna be really exciting. Uh, we're gonna be doing that Sunday, August twenty seventh. Perfect. We're gonna start it at eleven. We're gonna run it probably till about three or four. Um, but like I say, come one, come all. We had five hundred people last year. We're expecting just as many this year. It's a lot of fun. Nosh is a great place. Um, if you haven't been yet, even more reason to stop out. Yeah, it's a, it's a great venue, and that's over on uh, Russell Street. Russell Street, yes. Uh, neighborhood of the Arts. Which uh, is, talk about blowing up, the Neighborhood of the Arts is the place to be right now. Absolutely. I mean, right in that direct area, you've got Three Heads, you've got Nosh, you've got Fiamma, you've got uh, Maker's Cafe, and that's all in like five-minute walking distance of each other or less. Yeah, it's just a great neighborhood to walk out. So even if you don't want to come and drink all four milkshakes, you can come maybe drink two or three milkshakes, get a bite to eat, and check out the neighborhood. Um, it's a great spot. Looking really forward to it. Uh, Eric and Joe and, and Mary Rose and everyone over there has been incredibly supportive. Um, nice. so, we're, so we're looking forward to it. Um, and rain or shine, that's, that's the big thing about the change this year. You know, we were really dependent on the weather last year, and this year – um, as we've seen, it, it's, it's changeable, I think, is the best way to describe it. But yeah, we, it's something it's, we don't need to worry about with the Nosh location this year. Absolutely. And the, the, the space is beautiful. And, I mean, you, you, you definitely, if you haven't been in the space, it is, it's a beautiful space. They did a really nice job transforming it. And, 
Um, it's it's always it's always a diverse, interesting menu at the same time. So, I'm sure I'm sure it will be delicious fare to go along with the uh, to go along with the milkshakes. I call Chef Joe. He has, I don't know if he likes it or not, but I'm calling him one of Rochester's celebrity chefs at this point. And oh, I, you think he's getting there already? I think he's getting there. And like I say, they're working with you know Chef Kim. I think that that's the, this becoming the gathering place for Rochester's celebrity chefs. And uh, yeah, I think so. It's like I say, it's a great stage for everything. Nice kind of open kitchen in the front, so you'll be able to see everything that's going on. You'll probably be able to see us sweating, making some milkshakes. So <laughs> it was uh, it was interesting to keep up with last year. We were doing it with really just blenders. Um, we we have some more uh, industrial means lined up for this year. So nice. Can, so uh, we have some plans to keep up with it. We're gonna do uh, some locally made ice cream. I got a guy out of uh, Livonia who's uh, doing up the ice cream batches for me. Interesting. Um, and so we're trying to keep it as local as possible again in that vein. That's something, you know, everybody really responds to. And like I say, I'm, I'm calling it the collaboration of the summer because summer is not yet over, despite what everybody always says after July 4th. I hate that. No. We've got another good two or three months left of it. I'm, so. I'm, I'm banking on it. I haven't, I haven't swam except for in lakes this summer. I really want to swim in my pool for the first time this year. So I'm banking on summer being extended into mid-September. And for the first time, I really want it to stay hot through September. I think what he's saying too is pool party at Chris's house when this oh, thing gets geez. done. Everybody's invited. Everybody's invited. Come one, come all. I'll make the drinks. Adam's making milkshakes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so that's coming up on the twenty seventh. Um, so we we mentioned the name, the normal supper and cocktail. So I guess let's talk about that first, and then we'll get more into you. Yeah, that's probably. I should probably explain that a little bit. Um, I think so. I mean, we, we're ten minutes in, and people don't know what that is unless you've been severely nerdy about the food and drink scene yeah i I guess it's it started out as kind of an underground thing yeah Um, i mean i was i was at the first event i remember it started out as an underground thing where really it was kind of uh i got kind of frustrated with the normal normal the regular uh the regular uh day-to-day operations of a restaurant i guess and then and some of the constrictions that comes with that i should say um and you know dealing with just the day-to-day headaches the the work environment that comes with that. And so really it came from an idea of trying to build something that was truly um, a chef's undertaking, a bartender's undertaking from the sense that instead of doing grueling 14 to 16 hour days with maybe an owner you didn't agree with necessarily, what if we could truly be creative and do the food that we wanted to do at a schedule that didn't kill us and have us, you know, hating ourselves at the end of the day and really deliver, we were looking for kind of a, um, a communal experience. Um, you know, every restaurant, every bar is kind of built on regulars. And, you know, so I stepped back and said, well, what makes those people feel like regulars? And I got a lot of feedback that if we did a good thing of kind of making it feel like their dining room or their living room, that's really what people enjoyed the best. And unfortunately, especially with, you know, everyone's schedules these days, um, not a lot of people have the time to cook at home or no. have that, you know, family meal experience. And one of the greatest things that I, you know, enjoyed about restaurant life was the family meal where you could get the staff around. And I always realized though we were eating so very often like different food than we were cooking for our customers too, which didn't make sense to me. It's really common, isn't it? Yeah, I mean the the family meal oftentimes would be something that wouldn't even be offered on the menu. And so I think you kind of see, you know, one thing that comes to mind is um 
Thomas Keller with his ad hoc. I think that was kind of the same basis behind that whole restaurant was what if we did a restaurant that did the family meals as the regular menu? I've got the cookbook right behind you. It's a it's a great one. That one and French Laundry are like two of my favorites. But Ad Hoc at Home is is one of the greatest cookbooks uh, ever written, in my opinion. I, I use recipes from it every day in my in my restaurants, in my bars. It's a it's really interesting. It's a really interesting um, book. It's more complicated than it lets on. Yeah. Um, but I don't think he can help himself when it comes to a lot of that stuff. <laughs> but there's a lot of just great base stuff that you can use on a day-to-day basis. Uh, you know, the at-home moniker really does apply though. I mean, there's stuff yeah. that, there's stuff for uh, you know, there's stuff you can cook for a fancy dinner party. There's stuff you can cook for your kids. Um, I think there's everything right down to pickles and everything else. So, it really gets to yeah, basics and then as hot as you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so normal kind of grew out of that where I said nuts to this whole traditional restaurant industry. Um, I noticed I had people, for instance, like I went and did a, a, a pop-up, barbecue pop-up at Black Button Distilling. Love those guys. Absolutely. And I noticed I had like 30 or 40 people just sitting and chilling out with me in the parking lot, literally like on the curb, hanging out, eating good food, having a good time. I said, if I can get 30 people to show up to a parking lot just based on the fact that we're doing good food and drink, let's um, see if we can apply this and and take it around to different venues and and just see if we can get places to host us, do it at cool spots, do it with good food, keep it incredibly seasonal, incredibly low-key to the point that um, we put it out there. And I think the first tweet I sent out was just essentially what is normal with an email address and kind of a link to our website, kind of explaining that basic concept. And uh, I think now we're up to four or 500 members. Yeah. Which, too, we don't, uh, you know, I've kind of uh, gotten away from the membership ticketed events. So, like, for example, this Not Your Father's Milkshake Part 2, Sunday, August 27th at Nosh. Oh, snap. <laughs> um, is not a ticketed event. So we've kind of gotten away from that because, you know, we want, all of the public. To, we want as many people as possible to come. But if you're interested, you can drop me an email at normalfooddrink at gmail.com. Yeah, there's a, there's a time and a place for ticketed events and for scheduled out things. Yeah, and, and so we still we still try to do that. So, But basically the point we got to and, you know, the event like you came to, Chris, um, we had a nice little venue which was doing drink. They weren't necessarily doing food. So... I rolled in with a barbecue pit and very limited equipment, and we banged out like a suckling pig. And the first one, I believe, was the tribute to Julia Child. That was the one you were at, right? Was that was that the first one? I, I was there for a suckling pig. I remember that. You're always. I always have you down when I'm doing suckling <laughs> pigs. All the pigs, <laughs> all the pig parts. Chris I'm is not, nuts about. I'm not going to complain. But but I think that when you came to it was it was Julia Child's birthday. I realized, so I okay. said, let's do a bunch of different Julia Child dishes. And that was really all the advertising I did for it. I don't even think I really published the menu ahead of time. No, I don't think so. Um, so it was very much the sort of thing where we said, if you want to come, you're going to have an incredible experience. We're not necessarily going to tell you what the menu is, but that's part of the excitement. Um, so I think we did a charcuterie course ahead of time. I remember pate was involved. Like I said, the suckling pig. Um, and basically what I loved about it is Again, in the sense of that family meal, we set up a communal table where you're sitting with 20 to 25, mostly strangers. I don't think a lot of people really knew each other for that event. No, I met people there for the first time that I had seen around, but I'd never actually met before. Sure. And so it was actually an interesting experience on that front from my perspective. You know, definitely a, a big 
what I would say foodie crowd for that one. You know, we had Tracy from the DNC. We had Amanda from the DNC. We had yourself and your lovely wife. Yep. Um, we had a couple of my friends, Kim and Andy, from Behind Barbecue, which if you're in the barbecue scene, you know, they're wonderful people. And then outside of that, I think really just a bunch of people who didn't know each other, but by the end, I think really knew each other quite well. Um, and really just passed the plate around for all those dishes. I don't even think we did much service. I think I really did family-style plates very it much. It was. Or, and that, not that I take pictures of everything and keep track of everything, <laughs> but there was tomato tartare, leg of lamb. We had the suckling pig. We had, uh, oh, cheese gougeres. Those are delicious. Oh, I remember yeah. those. Yep. And then a carrot and zucchini with dill brown butter. See? Yeah. And then a peach uh, peach dessert as well. Yeah, clafouti. Clafouti, if you will. <laughs> I hope I'm not butchering the French on that one. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. And as far as anybody else knows, it's exactly right. I'm glad you pulled that up. I should have had that more <laughs> handy, but, you know, <laughs> it seems like it's been ages since then. But uh, And we did a couple more after that. Another one that sticks out to me, which I was really proud of, uh, we did a similar one, um, same kind of communal table, for the Lunar New Year, not this past Lunar New Year, but I believe the one before. And when I was scheduling it, I didn't realize that I had scheduled it for Super Bowl Sunday. Oh, I mean, that's, it sounds like <laughs> good timing to me. And uh, the venue we were holding it at did not have a television. And so I put it up, and then I think a day or two later, I realized, oh, this is Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> and the table still sold out in about a day and a half. Oh, that's awesome. Um, we had a great turnout just because people loved it as an option besides you know cheap beer and wings i i I remember that coming out and i remember thinking oh geez there's no way i'm going to that Uh, but right it's that's still awesome that that it was another one where i didn't publicize the menu realized it was super bowl sunday you know slapped myself upside the head and said well no one's going to show up and then the table should you know sold out again um so i again i think it speaks to something especially with this rochester food scene where people are really interested in we have so many great restaurants um but as far as that communal dining experience you know another one that comes from finger lakes table is doing the same sort of thing yeah i mean and they're and they're slaughtering it right now too i mean they've gotten some national press they've gotten a lot of local hype and it's the kind of i mean it's sold out for over a month ahead of time now so uh my partner who again i was just speaking of slapping myself up the head my main partner on this i should point out too is marquette pierce who's a wonderful Wonderful. Uh, also a radio host. Oh, she's fantastic. She's over on Wayo. Uh, in, in my mouth. Yeah, and that's, I think, 104.3 FM, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and she's also, you know, I met her. I think she came to a couple of the normal cocktail events that we did, and I just got to know her as kind of a foodie and someone who really uh, had a wonderful taste. And, of course, if you're coming to my events, of course. <laughs> and uh, I'm humble, too, Chris. I'm humble. Uh, always. I, and, both of us are. And she's really kind of like my my... I don't think she'd mind me. My right-hand woman, I would say, on this one. Um, And so we've already are are talking about doing kind of like a fall harvest dinner with the communal table again. That we'll probably end up doing as a ticketed event. So like I say, if you're interested, uh, normalfooddrink at gmail.com. And then if you hit up normalsupper.org, that's this website as well. And we usually, we post the events and like I say, it's, it's, um, it's it's dropped by the wayside a little bit as far as the ticketed stuff. Because like I say we've been focused on not your father's milkshake part two, and uh, some other bigger events, and I've also it's also kind of taken a different turn in that I've been doing what I call um, some consulting work. So 
Yeah, we're definitely going to dive into that because I find it fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of taken a different turn because, again, in, in trying not to get caught up in the day-to-day drudgery of, of restaurant operations, I've kind of found that what I've really enjoyed doing is helping places get started, get going. And uh, like I say, I had so many years of seeing how people did it wrong that now I have the experience to maybe help some folks do it right. And so that's really kind of the turn normal has taken as well. We're getting into uh, doing really a lot of bar consulting. Um, that's why Marquette has great. She does. Um, she's really been helpful in terms of like staff training programs that we've been developing for some places. Um, so like I say, but we're, we're definitely trying to get back into some of the smaller, more intimate ticketed events and hoping to do one of those in the fall um, where maybe we like go hunt some things and then, you know, feed them to you. <laughs> Sounds delightful. All right. So let's, let's take that, let's take that pivot over and let's talk. I mean, we'll, we'll get to the consulting cause I find that part fascinating and that's how I ran across you again recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's, let's take the step back and do the standard order of business. Why the hell do you cook? I mean, I don't think most people say it that way. But why, why do you cook? Why, why do you do this? Well, you know, I get that question a lot, and I say, well, if I had any other life skill, I would have done it, right? <laughs> because, again, it's like despite what you see on the Food Network, it's, it's, uh, it's more work for less money than you ever think is going to be possible. But at the same time, then, what I follow that very quickly up with is I sold copiers for six years. <laughs> I mean, the, the fascinating world of the copier fascinating and copier world of repair. copiers. And then after I would sell you the copier, I would come and show you how to use the copier. Ooh, nice. And as exciting as that sounds, <laughs> um, I found myself not very fulfilled at the end of the day. And um, so I got involved with a wonderful thing called the Rock City Rib Fest. I recall that, whole which thing. I think we're all pretty familiar with. And uh, some wonderful people, Brian and Kelly. And I started doing competition barbecue. And I still remember the very first Rock City Rib Fest. We were in a field in Caledonia, and I think there were seven teams. And a lot of those teams who were there are still cooking today. And they all make fun of me because I really had no idea what I was doing. I showed up with a barrel cut in half and a bunch of tinfoil. Awesome. (laughs) And tried to cook on it. And I'm pretty sure it came in dead last but they were still kind of enough, kind enough to give me a participation trophy. <laughs> little you know, tiny it was one of those little tiny pig trophy. <laughs> and um, me being kind of the I don't know if it's it's OCD or just if I don't know what sort of mental disorder I have. I decided that that was not the type of uh, you know performance I wanted to turn out, but. Love doing it, love the people, and so just got really into uh, barbecue. I should maybe mention that I come from like four generations of butchers, so they're always cutting it up. Do you really? Uh, what what area were they from? My, so my family originally is from the Wisconsin area. Oh, so they, my, they do like their meat. Yeah, in my great grandfather, my grandfather, my my dad for a while before he got into another line, and actually now my oldest brother still is a butcher. Awesome. So they're always cutting it up. I still, I always remember like deer hanging in the garage during deer season and that sort of thing. And uh, so I always had good access to the cuts. Got into, uh, like I say, just got into learning as much as I could about the barbecue uh, scene and competition side of things and cooking it. Bought all sorts of smokers. The backyard became littered with smokers. Um, it's like it's like the people who have the the abandoned cars in their yeah, front and backyard. Same sort of thing. Same except sort of for thing. just you know 
corpses of barrels yeah, rust, and rusty smokers. Yeah, everything from Weber to um, you know wood chipped kind of things. Well, and I say if if you're looking to get into it, I say the the guy who gave me the advice and so who told me to buy my first Weber Smoky Mountain changed my life. Oh, the cylinder. Yeah, like don't. And of course, I made the mistake. I bought the cheap ones, even though he told me not to. Let's let's talk about that one for a second, because Weber is what most people know for you know the baseline of grills, nice grills and smokers. Yeah. But that smoker, the Smoky Mountain, is one of the cylinder ones, correct? It's like it it's looks like almost a big the, what I say is is like they took their their regular Weber grill, which you know has the curved lid and the curved bottom, and they they put a big tube in the middle. Yeah. Um, and a few more vents, and I gotta say, it's still one of the best investments I've ever made. It's lasted me longer than any car I've ever had, and I still haul the thing around. I've hauled it to multiple restaurants, and cooked insane barbecue with it. And it's just great design. And your significant others will hate me, but again, buy the twenty-two inch. Don't waste your money on the eighteen inch. <laughs> just go ahead and spend the extra hundred bucks and buy the twenty-two inch Weber. And uh, the thing runs like a champ. It's, you know, set it and forget it once you figure it out a little bit. You can cook like six pork butts on the thing. You can do really? six racks of ribs. Um, and it's, it's interesting now that the uh, the competition barbecue scene has kind of taken a, a swing. But like it kind of goes in cycles. And for a while, and even I bought one, you know, the, the backwoods cabinet smokers, which, again, are great. Um, people were buying, you know the multi-thousand-dollar Cadillac Jambo smokers, as I call them. It's come back full circle to basically drum smokers. Um, There's something about them. They just, that, that smoke swirls around in there really yeah, the, nice. A and couple of the local teams, I mean, Good Smoke, like I say, Good Smoke Barbecue started the Rock City Rib Fest. They've gone, I know they've been killing it on the competition scene with those and a couple other buddies of mine, Shortsville Smokers. They've gone to the drum-style smokers. They've been absolutely killing it. They did... Just this past weekend, they did uh, Sam's Club qualifier, and after they finished that, drove up to Canada, like Ottawa somewhere, and won a competition uh, like the very next day. Wow. And drum smokers. So buy your Weber, 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 Weber Smoky Mountain. Um, otherwise, I think Gateway is the new drum smoker that's out, Gateway Drum Smokers. But Are they either. just using abandoned old computers and just <laughs> tossing some wood chips in there? That's about all they're good for. <laughs> Um, but like I say, the you know, so I bought my first Weber Smoky Mountain and integrated those into my barbecue program, and um, bought a bunch of books and watched a bunch of shows, and really just spent a lot of time hanging out at like two a.m. at barbecue competitions, watching what guys do, and, well, and that's kind of the way to get into it, isn't it? I mean, you're asking questions of the people who are most of them are willing to talk. Because most of them are very willing. Well, especially too if you show up at their site with like a bottle of whiskey, they're even more willing. <laughs> Well, and especially at two o'clock in the morning. I mean, yeah. you know, if you're if you've been up that whole time, you're, <laughs> you're probably a little bit nice. You're lubricated at that yep, point, exactly. And so, um, in 2012, I believe it was. Geez, I can't believe it was that long ago now, but I believe it was. Um, we uh, ended up like banging a state grand championship. We won the the cross border barbecue championship at Cross Border Blues Brews and Barbecue. Um, over in Wilson, and also had a great showing at the Rock City Rib Fest. And uh, we started doing some vending, too. I bought a big blue trailer, if anybody remembers. It's a horrible name, and this is where I learned about marketing, too. But I, I think remember this is the where name I, very well. This is where I ran into you, too. It was called Fetsfin, which is Swedish for fat pig. 
I mean, I thought it was a great name, personally. Well, thank you, Chris. You're so kind. But I've got, I've got that, I've got a Swedish background. All right, yeah. You so know, you, you sw- understood it a little bit. But everybody else, when I, when I bring it up, all I have to say is it was the blue trailer with the big dragon heads, and then it immediately comes to mind. Yeah, I mean so, that was awesome too. So if you remember the big blue trailers with the dragon heads hanging from it, you know, we did Rock City Rib Fest. Um, we well, did I'd, like Green Topia. Like I was the barbecue guy at Green Topia. What, what a weird fit. You know what? People loved it though. Like well, we did, did. I re- we did barbecued like acorn squash with like butter and brown sugar oh, that, that we got good. from a local farm. And and honestly, it was that would have been the first Green Topia, right? I think it was the very first Green Topia. Yeah, but well, oh. I, I remember the first time I saw you out there. It was at I don't even remember how I heard about it, but I went to. You were outside of Abilene. Yeah, I was going to say it has to be Abilene Bar and Lounge. And my good friend Danny Deutsch, who was. Yeah. I kind of say that's where I love Danny Deutsch. Like, he kind of. That's a great name, by the way. You know, and he, when I was telling him what I had going on, I think we actually launched Fetzfin. Like, the official Fetzfin launch party was at Abilene Bar and Lounge, which is another place I say, if you like, I'm sure pretty much everybody who's listened to this show has probably checked out Abilene at one point in time. But if you haven't, like, go check it out like talk about a great watering hole that is you know doesn't take itself too seriously which <laughs> unfortunately i think happens these days with some watering holes but this is like a true watering hole where you can have a good time and get a good drink and listen to some great music yeah and it's you know i i was impressed when i went in i don't do a lot of live music because most of the time it gets way too loud and uncomfortable yeah i was really impressed at how comfortable an environment it was yeah. for live music I mean, Danny Deutsch has been doing it on the local scene for, <laughs> I was going to say longer than I've been alive, but that wouldn't be kind of Mr. Deutsch. He's not nearly <laughs> that old. But he's been doing it for a long time. Like, he can tell you stories about bartending at the Red Creek and a little band by the name of U2 coming through, you know, like, and playing the Red Creek. So, you know, great stories, great bartenders, great people, great drinks. I think he hosted the official Fetzfin barbecue launch party. And had me back many times after, even in like the dead of winter. I remember there being being there in like February in a snowstorm, with like Thunderbody playing on the inside. Oh, nice! And just cranking food on the outside. He was kind enough to let us. I don't know if he had this plan or if he just let us do this. But when I got the trailer, then he was kind enough to let us cut a hole, like cut out a section of his fence. So we could pull into the side parking lot there and basically open the vending window. That's awesome. And sell barbecue out to. He has a beautiful like backside uh, outdoor patio spot, which this time of year is absolutely gorgeous. And like another shout out to somebody who seems to be killing it. I think Heritage Taco is doing that now. Yeah, so they're doing go, some ridiculous stuff out of that truck I, already. I know they've hit Abilene a couple times, but I'm pretty sure. So that spot in the fence is still being used to do like really cool stuff and serve good food and drink to that outside patio. Yeah, so, I, I tried. I tried the tacos out the other day, and their tortillas are legit. I mean, doing doing scratch tortillas properly. Where you get a little bit of pliability, they don't just fall apart. Um, his sauces were awesome. I was really impressed. I haven't had a chance to eat their stuff yet, but I'm familiar with uh, with Chef Steve from Orbs, and always been impressed when I've gone in there. So yeah, he's he's taking that place to um, to the kind of to the kind of quality I always hoped it could be, and I think he's really uh, along with uh, Molly over at the bar, Molly Berm. I mean, they're doing great stuff. And it's a pretty it's a pretty impressive place now between that and the tacos. And I think they're rocking like seven days a week now. I know he's doing Mondays and and all sorts of things. So 
Yeah, Abilene, again, check that place out if you haven't, especially if they have food. I mean, even if they don't have food, he, you know, it's a great reason to stop down and have a drink. Well, I mean, what they don't have anymore is the brisket you were doing on that on that uh, cart. Yeah, barbecue brisket, which, you know, I think we banged that out at one of the pop-ups, too, and I remember doing it for, uh, like, a Father's Day barbecue for a while. But, yeah, I... I um, brisket I kind of took to heart you know it's it's a great especially in Texas like that is the soul of Texas barbecue and to me still it's the hardest cut to cook and cook consistently and so I spent a lot of time focusing on that one I think that was my proudest moment actually when um, I still say Brian from Good Smoke was my barbecue mentor and when we run that won that grand championship I'm pretty sure he was second place in brisket and I was first place so that's when I felt like I had kind of arrived, <laughs> you know. I, was, it was, I beat my barbecue Yoda, as I called him. And br- brisket, like you said, is is challenging in its simplicity. Yeah, it's well the the hard part about it, which a lot of people don't realize. And so, first of all, don't like brisket. Oftentimes, is sold. It's really two different sections of muscle, and so a lot of people get confused because they go to whatever store and they see a quote unquote brisket, and it's just the like the flat section that has been cut off. Um, it's really two different sections of muscles called the flat and the point, which come together. The grains in both of them run completely differently. Uh, the flat has a fat cap and not a lot of internal marbling. The point is nothing but internal marbling, mm-hmm. um, which fat equals flavor. So that's why I love it, too, because it's one of your fattiest barbecue cuts. It's more forgiving. The point's a little more forgiving. Yeah, I mean, you can... You can still make it dry. I've had it where it's dry. And yeah, it's, I mean, so that's the trick is taking two different sections of muscle, which ideally you don't separate them, and, you know, cooking them together and, and doing it to the point where you have a nice sliceable flat that and on the on the circuit we said it would have the accordion effect where you could kind of pull on it and it would start to come apart but not completely fall apart. Um and I like to actually slice my point up, too. Quite honestly, I think sliced point is one of the most delicious things in the world. Yeah. Um, what we would take uh, and do with it a lot on the competition circuit is uh, we would cube it up and, like, re-sauce it and kind of give it a little bit more heat, and then we would call it burn ends, which um, that's like a Kansas City thing, I think, that came from, um, I forget, the joint that did it didn't really doesn't come to mind right now, but when they would be slicing their brisket, um, that would be kind of the parts that would be left on the side of the slicer, and they started giving it away to people, I believe, is the is the legend behind it. And then they realized that people liked it more than what they were slicing up, so they started selling it, and barbecue history was born. Oh, and it's it's hard to beat that extra crispy, you know, deeply, um, you know, deeply browned and uh, almost burned in the perfect way. I think like umami, I think would be a good term to apply to that. Like I wouldn't apply it to a lot of barbecue because, you know, you're really dealing with salty, smoky, sweet, but that just has a whole different level of flavor to it. And so I appreciate your compliments on that, Chris. I'm glad that's what (laughs) first caught your eye because, I mean, to me, I thought that's one thing we really did well when I've done my barbecue is, uh, and, and, uh, you know, we all, I always say half the reason Rochester has the barbecue scene it has is is hats off to dinosaur barbecue i think is the reason we yeah. got into it um but i took a lot of pride in my brisket and so um, i'm glad that caught your eye chris that's like yeah. it makes me tear up a little <laughs> well it's interesting i was on i was on uh connections last week or when this comes out like two or three weeks ago um and we were actually talking about rochester does rochester have a barbecue identity um my my position is no it doesn't have an individual barbecue identity 
but I think there's a lot of people who really care about it. There's um, a, there's an insane amount of people who care about it, especially like I say, especially once Rock City Rib Fest became what it was. Yeah, I think at the peak there were a hundred or some odd teams competing one year. I remember, yeah. and so I think there's a lot of people, yeah, who do care about it. We have a bunch of great, you know, well-known joints and some. Uh, like is Uncle Moe still doing his thing? Like there's yeah, some smaller there joints is. too. Like there's really some smaller neighborhood joints that come to mind. Like because that's a crossover place too. I well, mean, it's such it's an it's uh it's over near Driving Park, yeah. and it's it's a very interesting place. It crosses over between you know a lot of traditional soul food uh, dishes. You know yeah. you'll have the collard greens and the, all that kind of stuff, but they're doing a lot of barbecue things as well. Yeah, and so honestly, that's why I thought. Um, you know, that same year in 2012 when we were on our grand championship, we also were um, – I, mean, I was just really proud because not only were we, like, third overall in the KCBS field, Kansas City Barbecue Society field, which was, like, the the non-vending competitors, we also won a vending award that year. So that made me feel really proud that we could go out, do a, do a, a four-category competition and vend against some really great barbecue <laughs> cooks and win – awards on both sides um so that's really where the cooking took off i i kind of quit that day job as much fun as selling and showing you how to use copiers was um you know i i took my little you know egg that i had and and really tried to push the food truck thing um but then kind of uh <laughs> i remember then i don't know if it was the next year or the year after we were trying to vend with a four-month-old yep <laughs> And so that got to be a little difficult when the family got a little bigger. And um, honestly, then Brian and Kelly from Good Smoke were kind enough to hire me to run their kitchen. And uh, I ran their joint in East Rochester for a little bit and learned. That was really my first foray into the professional kitchen, I would say, and learned a ton from those guys. And it kind of took off from there. And I've been floating around from kitchen to kitchen and bar to bar ever since. Yeah, so I, I want to talk about them for a second, and we're going to take a break. Um, but their their restaurant really is kind of emblematic of the Kansas City barbecue style, right? Yeah, I mean, they really try to take their their competition style barbecue and apply it to the restaurant. And sauces, I mean, especially sauces in the early everything. days. Yeah, I mean, I remember the, the rib glaze. I think was and probably still is, you know, a version of a competition rib glaze that, that Brian had come up with. Um, Which is very specific, the Kansas City barbecue standards. Yeah, it's um, – and I don't want to turn people off with this, but it's like we called it kind of candy, candied meat on a stick, which at first sounds odd, but especially in the pork vein, like especially in the rib style, there's just something about it that it's like – I don't want to make drug references, but you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, like, of course. <laughs> it's, it's weird because like for me, like my platonic ideal barbecue sauce – is Kentucky Greg's in Buffalo? I don't know if you've been out there. Before. I haven't been out there. No, it, it's more like a more like a tangy, uh, smoky, vinegary side. Even though it's a little still saucy, mm-hmm. for me, I I tend to edge away from the sweet from the sweeter sauces. But they know it, how to do it right. But if, they do. If you can balance it, especially there's just something about that combination of sweet and smoke that when it comes together in the right way is just like an immaculate experience. Um, and I will say then, you know, but that tangy sauce, I will say, like, give me some, like, pulled pork and just slop some vinegar on it and some coleslaw. And, North Carolina style. Yeah, North Carolina style, which that's kind of, 
I still remember. Maybe I should have mentioned that too. Like, I still remember my high school graduation. This guy, I think he was just called the barbecue man. He showed up and he dug a pit in my backyard and threw a pig in it. And yeah, that was basically just break it all down and throw some vinegar sauce on it. And I mean, that is exactly on a bun. So it probably all harkens back to that. I mean, I owe it to you know the barbecue competitions, but there was something that always stuck in my head of you know. Seeing yeah. that done for my high school graduation, that I'm just like, first of all, he's cooking in the ground, <laughs> which is pretty badass. Although I do have to say, um, I had this argument with one of my one of my buddies. Uh, we were talking about it. We we're like, hey, we're gonna do a whole pig, and he always wanted to dig a pit in the ground. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to do it on a spit above the ground. You know what I will say, so you don't have to ruin your yard. And I know this because I built one in my mom's backyard, and boy, did. No, she's she, uh, of course she loved me, but <laughs> we. I think we only we only just took it down here a year or two ago. We did it uh, kind of in the same vein with cinder blocks, so we built oh. kind of a cinder block pit, say five or six cinder blocks high, and then we built kind of a uh, a cage out of uh, rebar and wire. Nice. So you could kind of spatchcock the pig and flip it as you needed to. Nice. And we cooked whole pigs. We did ribs. We did the whole shebang on that. And you kind of bank your coals. We even built our own burn barrel so we could burn the hardwood down. Like and it. And you shovel it out on the bottom and just kind of bank your coals to either side. Um, that will save you from having a pit in your yard. Then that you know, what are you going to do with a pit in your backyard besides? Well, you could cook more pigs in it. <laughs> Or trip in it. Yeah, or trip in it, exactly. Yeah. Watch your little children fall into it when they're playing outside. <laughs> um, but that was the workaround I found because there is something I will say about, and I don't know if it's, you know, the moisture from the ground or, but, you know, classic luau style, you know, dig a pit, cover it with the banana leaves. I think there's something very much to be said for the moisture and, and uh, you know, the... We're getting nerdy again, but you oh know, yeah, thermal dynamics. Like, <laughs> well, it's insulating. I mean, it's it's maintaining consistent temperatures. Yeah. It's not getting too hot. It's not getting too cold. Yeah. It's that low and slow that everybody ever always talks about. Just, yeah. I mean, they discovered it, you know, hundreds of years ago. Yeah. Yes, there were. I will say before. Yeah, there were. They were cooking pigs before barbecue smokers. Shocking, and, right? And so, yeah, go with, uh, like I say, go with this, do the cinder blocks. We'll build one in the backyard before I leave tonight. Your wife will love us. Perfect. It'll right. be great for the pool party. Oh, yeah. Whole pigs at the pool party. Everybody's invited. Don't just show up unless you talk to me first. All right. <laughs> All right. I'm going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk more about consulting and uh, whatever the hell else we decide to talk about. All the stuff, all the things. All the things. As I mentioned at the top of the show, the city newspaper's best-of poll has started again. The preliminaries are happening now, so go to city newspaper's website and vote for Food About Town for Best Podcast. We've had a lot of fun doing episodes again this year. We've had a lot of great guests on and a lot of great guests coming on in the future. And uh, I think getting us on the final poll only helps us get better and better and get more people listening. So thanks for the support. And I look forward to getting onto the final poll again this year. Thanks. Well, so we've been we've been actually sampling. We'll, we'll talk about this for a second. We've been sampling through the first part of the episode, a drink that Adam recently made during a competition. And I got to say, this is on a nice hot day. This is this is a refreshing drink we're drinking here. It's a nice summer cocktail. I I haven't come up with a good witty name for it though. Yeah. Um, 
but it's a little uh, thing I kind of came up for. Uh, so I joined the. Speaking of like the local scene and like stuff you wouldn't think, so Rochester has like a chapter of the United States Bartenders Guild. Uh, it's great stuff. I mean, I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, one Mister Donnie Clutterbuck. You know, I always say if I'm going to go anywhere and pay for a drink, uh, if I have if, like a first choice, and this is no disrespect, believe me, like there's a bunch of places I go and drink. <laughs> <laughs> That sounded horrible, but you know what I'm saying. I do. But, yeah, Donnie Clutterbuck, first of all, one of the nicest people I've ever met in the world. He's, he's, you know, like, how can you always be so gracious and nice? I don't understand it. It's like a chemical imbalance with that guy. He's just always (laughs) nice, even to me. I say, (laughs) I say it about a lot of people. Um, but Donnie really, he's a good man. He's, yeah. And I, I, I have a lot of respect for him as a person. He lives a very, he lives a very authentic life. He's very much himself all the time. Yeah. And I think when, you know, there's a lot of people, they can turn on and off, but he's he's just, he really, he's very straightforward, and I really enjoy that about him. So the point is, Donnie, big man crush is going on here. Of course. With you. Um, but he started up, I, I'm pretty sure he started it. As far as I know, he started basically the Rochester chapter of the USBG, the United States Bartenders Guild here in Rochester. Yep, he's definitely one of the driving forces. And... You know, just like I think there's a great tight-knit brewers community, you know, our, the cooks are starting to be friendly with one another. The bartenders, like, it's a love fest with those people. Like, they're the greatest community of people. They're the nicest people. And um, so I joined that group when I started getting into, uh, like, spirit development and stuff because, you know, I really wanted the feedback of the bartenders and started going to some of the meetings and um, had actually been out of the competitive barbecue scene for a while, but still had that competitive itch I wanted to scratch. So I remember I did the... um, They did it for a while, and I think they should start it back up, and maybe I'll mention that at the next meeting. (laughs) Um, But for a while, we did the... First, no, third Tuesday throwdowns. I don't know I if remember, you ever made it out. To I never those. made it out, but I remember. I remember reading about them a lot. They're really interesting. They were a lot of fun. I went to the first one and won it, and um, and then maybe a month ago now, two three weeks ago, um, they had a swizzle competition sponsored by Angostura at the Playhouse, and so I entered that just to scratch the competitive itch and came up with a little drink that used the uh, ang- the. Amaro that Angostura does, which is a really new, pro- relatively new product. I mean, Angostura, if you're familiar with them, they do a lot of rums, and of course, is like the ubiquitous bitters behind the bar. Pretty much everybody has a bottle of Angostura bitters and a bottle of you know aromatic, generally Fee Brothers aromatic bitters. Um, but pretty much every other cocktail recipe, I think, calls for Angostura bitters. Yeah, you know, a lot of Manhattan recipes call for them. So they sponsored a swizzle competition with their new Amaro product. And I came up with a little drink that used their Amaro, um, a cassis liqueur, which is a black currant liqueur, if you're familiar with black currants, which oddly enough, I also learned just only recently, like 2007, became legal to grow in New York State for some reason. Another little really? nerdy fact. I'm not really sure why. That's interesting because they actually grow really they well grow here. They grow really well here. And um, the... Um, Inspiration to use that liqueur kind of came from like the spice and flavor profile from the Amaro. And then what immediately came to mind, speaking of, again, great local products. I think that's part of like why the scene is so great here. Like we have, I mean, obviously with the Finger Lakes and all the agriculture we have going on, but we have so many great local products. Um, Red Jacket Orchards out of Geneva. 
Oh, they're hard to beat. It's a great farm store. I mean, they have, if again, if you're not familiar, like pick up some of their stuff. I know all the Wegmans is carrying a lot of their juices now, but they do this great line of cold-pressed fresh juices, um, and a couple of them are called stomps. Like they have a tart cherry stomp. And it's then it's the apricot and the tart yeah. cherry are really delicious. Really, really good. And I think one they just started doing maybe only like a year or two ago, then is their black and blue stomp, which is a combination of black currant and blueberry juice. Ooh. So I went with the Amaro, the Cassis liqueur, the black and blue stomp, um, some of the Angostura bitters, and then I muddled some uh, Thai basil in there. Thai basil is a little bit. Uh... <sighs> It, it can be a bit polarizing. I know the, my wife hates it. Like, it, I love it. I love it in spring rolls. I love it all over the place. I don't know really how to explain the flavor profile outside of it's not as Italian as regular basil, if that well, makes I, sense. Like, I think I it's say, a little sweezer, sweeter and maybe has some more pepper notes to it. It's a little more intense. You know, So Thai basil, I mean, it takes the licorice notes up another two or three levels. Yeah, sure. Yep. It's definitely more intense. It's more aromatic. Um, you don't hide it. No. Thai basil isn't hidden. It, it's there or it's really there. But I, you know, was so the drink profile was, was very fruity, had a lot of spice notes to it. Um, and I just didn't want to go with, you know, the common, you know, you see a lot of mint in cocktails. Mint is, is pretty regular in cocktails. I wanted to go with something besides just the, the basic mint. So I went with the Thai basil. And <laughs> amazingly, it did. The drink did well enough to move me on to the semifinals against some of the best bartenders in Rochester. Um, and I am not ashamed to say that I didn't make it past the semifinals because I lost in the speed round to a couple guys from the Revelry. Yeah, which I'm not ashamed to lose ever to a couple guys from the Revelry. No, if you get up against uh, Patty or one of those guys, I well, mean- that's why. I th- yeah, I ended up losing to to. Um, to Pat and Ryan. Oh, Ryan's a machine. Who ended up winning the whole thing? Yeah, Ryan's a machine. I, I, you never. I mean, he's one of those guys. Um, right, Ryan Lewis, one, one of the more unassuming characters in the drink scene in Rochester. Um, he's you know really good at coffee, really good at cocktails, but he's, and I, I say this with complete affection. I really enjoy Ryan as a person. Yeah, he, he's not. He's not a bombastic personality. No. That's not what he brings. No. But he brings a dedication and a real, I mean, dedication to quality. And he's as obsessive as anybody about doing things the right way. One of those guys I really enjoy talking to. I think that's the great thing about all, like, the Rochester bartenders. And that's where, especially coming from, like, a chef's standpoint and getting into the drink thing, where I gained a lot of respect from them. They're not flair bartenders, if that makes sense. Like, they're not, like... Hey, I'm flipping thing. I'm flipping bottles around, and you know, blowing things up. Like they really care about their craft to the same extent that, like, like I say, from a chef standpoint, I really respect. Like they put the same sort of intensity and the same sort of, um, you know, acumen for learning into it. And again, just both those guys are ridiculously nice. Absolutely. <laughs> no, and then and they compliment they compliment each other really well. Yeah. I mean. Pat can be the wife of the party, and yeah. you know it's 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 a great compliment to one another. And I'm I'm glad that Ryan made his way over there and is working with Pat as they transition with Zach moving over to Bitter Honey. Yeah, and so I ended up I had to go up against Ryan in the speed round and ended up losing out to him. And and like I say, that's never a bad thing to lose to the Revelry guys and especially the guy who ended up winning it all. But 
Um, so yeah, I thought I'd bring out a little bit of this this cocktail because I was really proud of the flavors. I think it was a good summer cocktail. Um, and it's kind of along the lines of um, some other ideas that Marquette and I are developing with uh, Normal and, and some of the other bar concepts that we want to work on with really it's a it's a low ABV cocktail, so it uses an Amaro, it uses a liqueur, um, you know, it uses some fresh juices, but it's still, you know, four ingredients basically, um, nice and fresh, but um, kind of, a, again, another concept we're, kind of, we're developing with the whole normal vein, you know, we call it a new normal as far as some things we want to breed a drinking in one of the projects we're hoping to get rolling next spring if, you know, if I'm not jumping too far ahead of myself, um, Unless there's something else, you know, and something else you'd like to hit, but um, hopefully, come next spring, Marquette and I have a bar concept that we're working on that's going to be kind of along the lines of um, we're calling it an adult style kind of soda fountain. So in the vein it's a of great idea, and and it kind of came out of the whole milkshake concept, you know, floating it out there as um, you know the old school kind of pharmacy soda fountain concept, and so we're kind of trying to bring a, a cocktail feel to that. Um, and so we're, we're putting some ideas together right now and hopefully next spring that'll be rolling. Um, offers a lot of different opportunities for not only styling, but bringing back some old school flavors and, you know, you don't have to be super traditional, but it offers some interesting opportunities. So the, you know, the, the kind of the, the phrase we've kind of latched onto is we want to kind of elevate without inebriating. Um, yeah. I think with especially the explosion, the craft cocktail is seen here in Rochester. It's all part of, you know, I call the cocktail almost like a social tool at this point. And, you know, I find myself very often out drinking Campari and soda as much as I'm drinking a Sazerac or, you know, a martini or whiskey on the rocks at this point. Um, and so I think there's kind of the a whole section of the drinking public that, isn't always catered to, but so we were going to try to give them that same sort of experience. And then something too that, you know, during the day you can bring your kids out and get an old school, uh, you know, phosphate or chocolate egg cream or that sort of thing. That's and, the word that was in my head is yeah. phosphate. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it's such a, such a unique thing that, um, you know, for those that, uh, those that don't drink, it gives you opportunities to try something different, try something interesting. And, and that's something we actually came up when Marquette and I worked at a bar a while back you know, we were looking at ways to be incredibly seasonal and and local. And so, of course, one of the things when you're making cocktails that doesn't really allow you to be seasonal or local is the use of citrus. So when you're building a drink and you're trying to balance your spirit with your sweet and your sour and your bitter, um, most of the times a lemon or a lime comes into play. Um, so we started playing around with acid phosphates and lactarts to kind of give us those sour elements without having to also always be juicing you know, limes that were shipped in from, you know, who knows where and, you know, dealing with the fossil fuels and the waste, um, you know, that's one of the things in, in this new concept that we're hoping really to kind of forward is, um, you know, bars as great as they are, there's a ton of waste involved, um, especially if you are doing your own, you know, fresh juices and that sort of thing. Yeah, because um, even if you did stuff like, you know, macerating the lemon leftovers and turning it into lemon syrups. Yeah. You can only use so much of it. Yep. You can only make so much and 
keep that up. And then in terms of consistency, you know, drink consistency is something I'm big on. So, you know, that's that's something that's all over the board when you're doing those those types of applications. So we got into the as, uh, the phosphates, and then I kind of, um, you know, bought some, I don't know if I bought them or even just found them online, like old school pharmacy books, like I say, that broke down how to do um, some really great, like, homemade sodas and things. And so, you know, that's kind of the thing we're kicking around, and hopefully we'll have that, you know, going by next spring. That's exciting. Um, because, you know, in between some of the original normal stuff and now, and uh, moving on to maybe doing your own thing, you've been doing a lot of consulting at the same time. Yeah, I get bored quick, I realize. <laughs> well, because that's, that's, the, that's the thing. Every time I run across you and I hear where you're at, I go and try. I'm like, no, 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 he's, he's not here anymore. He's over at the next place. Um, so, like, recently we, we, we ran across each other at the Silver Iguana over on yep. North Winton. Yeah. Because um, they'd opened and you would came into... I had, um, I had been working at, again, another great place. I had been working at Dorado on Park Ave. Yep. And um, part of the Swan Empire. Part of the Rochester. Swan Empire. And uh, from there, yeah, had uh, the guys who were open in Silver Iguana had, I don't even know how they heard about me, whether whether I'm famous or infamous at this point, Chris. I think it's probably a little of both. You know, sometimes they're one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always say, and, and I don't, it's not something I came up with. Better to, to be, uh, better to be infamous than not talked about at all, or something about yeah, along those lines. But anyway, the silver iguana guys kind of stumbled across for me. I had actually been for a hot second. I don't even know if we talked about this. I was like over, kind of working with the Ferrari Pizza Bar for a little bit. Interesting place. I don't. I want to talk about it for a second. There is actually a Ferrari in the dining room. It's really odd. Um, it's. it's so they, this they, is this is out in where where is it at? It's uh, it's it's Chilai area because I know I would always drive by the second location, the the new second location of Good Smoke every time when I on my day on my way to work. Yeah, yeah. So this this is out in Chilai, yep. and it is, um, it's a really polished place. Yeah. Um, they're they, doing they're doing pizza for the people that live there. They're not. It's not an aspirational pizza. Yeah. It's cooked for the what most people enjoy. It's a it's a crispy, crunchy, thin crust. Yep. Uh, generally, actually, pretty well done. I, yep. I, I did not dislike it. Yeah. It's just not done to the level of nerdery that I prefer my pizza done to. <laughs> um, but I think they're really making pizza for the people that want to eat that kind of pizza. Well, and they were the dining room was packed every night and uh, forever. You know, yeah. I, I helped them with their. I helped them. Uh, you know, with the kitchen management a little bit, helped him on the drink side a little bit, and then kind of stumbled my way over to Silver Iguana, which Rochester loves its tacos and tequila, man. Yeah, and that's. I think that was a good transition from being a wine bar, yeah, to now being a taco tequila place. And I, I think our neighborhood. I mean, I'm just outside of North Winton, although I still consider myself part of the neighborhood because. Southeast Aronicoit doesn't really have the same ring to it. Uh, but, you know, North Winton really needed more things to go to that aren't just the big the big shots. Sure. Uh, I thought it was an interesting fit. It was uh, the neighborhood absolutely love, still loves having it there. I mean, they, the, the feedback I got from the people right in the immediate area were so happy to have it there. Um, and what I found at Dorado and then at Silver Iguana was – 
the the barbecue skills translated incredibly well to the taco skills. I mean, Mex- Mexican food is in a lot of ways barbecue. It's it's big cuts of meat. It's you know low and slow. It's you know figure out a good balance of flavors. Um, so that was one of the things I immediately did at Silver Iguana was. Um, so their barbacoa tacos there, the beef cut is beef brisket, whole beef brisket that we did low and slow with a nice little blend of dried chilies and Tecate and I don't want to give out too many secrets, but there may, <laughs> there may or may not have been soy sauce involved. Well, I mean, if you're not using soy sauce or all of these umami boosters, I mean, what's the point? I've got, you know, another book behind you that they, you know, he talks about that all the time. That's the food lab and yes, yep. Kenji Lopez. Kenji Lopez. I mean, that's one of those things he brings into a lot of the recipe creations is how do you boost the savory in these recipes? And oftentimes it's miso and soy sauce mm-hmm. and anchovies or marmite or those kind of things. Yep. And I think you've seen it on the um, – oh, uh, Choi comes to mind with the whole Korean-Mexican mashup oh, out, yeah, out in Roy Los Choi, Angeles, yeah, yeah. you know, like – I think there's been a huge crossover between kind of Asian and Latin flavors because there's a lot of common ground there. Um, so yeah, the, like I say, the knowing how to cook big cuts of meat helped has helped um, in both those veins. Help them develop their uh, <clears throat> their brunch menu, which is that's the day we had uh, you and your partner in crime out. Oh yeah, that was that was that was a pretty fantastic little meal. Mr. Clemens, and um, you know did. A suckling pig again, and so developed their whole brunch menu for them. Uh, developed some cocktails for them, um, and uh, from what I hear, the food is still holding up incredibly well, which makes That's me good to hear. very proud. Um, and then, actually, most recently, just this past weekend, I was uh, behind the bar slinging cocktails at another brand new place, the Hook and Spoon. So where where is that? I haven't really that heard anything about it. That is right on the north end of Canisius Lake. So I'm actually um, a Livingston County boy. Actually, okay. I, I live in Livonia, um, and so it's it's very close to my house. I don't know if you're familiar with Canisius Lake at Not all, but much. It, it basically if you take 390 south and get off at the Lakeville exit and turn left, okay, you'll drive right into our parking lot. Oh, really? So not that far away? Not that far. You know, it's it's half hour. You know, it's not a bad... I always... When I say Livingston County, people kind of always gasp, but it's not far away at all. Um, and it's uh, it's another... It used to be called the North Shore. Um, um, had been closed for a number of months while the latest group, um, the ownership group, who actually owns also the Rabbit Room out of Honeyoy Falls... Oh, I've heard uh, a lot of good stuff about that place. Yeah, a lot of great space, great food, great people. Um, you know, I went to high school with a lot of the cooks who are cranking out the food there. So it's basically the same crew is running the kitchen at the Hook and Spoon now, doing really great food. And then I'm down there helping them out with the cocktails and the drink program. Awesome. It, it has one of the nicest views. You know, when I get a little stressed, I'm working my service bar, and I look out from the north end of Canisius Lake, and it's just an absolutely beautiful view. Um, they did a great, they did a great job with the space. We got an outdoor patio, we got an inside bar, we got an outdoor bar, and um, you know, if you're looking to take a little road trip and and you know, really check out the Finger Lakes, Hook and Spoon is a great place to check out. I'm actually excited because that's it reminds me a lot of uh, the Farmers Creekside Tavern and Inn that opened sure. up in yep. uh, Leroy. Um, you know, some dedicated people in the industry opening a place that really they want to open. Yeah. Like this, and this seems like a 
great extension off the rabbit room in that it's probably a little more accessible and open. Yeah, the rabbit room really, um, <clears throat> they specialize in uh, kind of the, the event catering, wedding side of things and, um, you know, open to the public maybe once or twice a week. So this is really their foray into being open to the public pretty much all week. Um, I think the plan eventually is to expand to seven days a week and do lunches and dinners. Oh, that's exciting. I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm really glad I heard about this because this is something now I'm very much looking forward to checking out. Yeah, I think we, we basically did our soft open last weekend, so I hope they're not going <laughs> to give me too much flack for letting the secret out. <laughs> you know, we, we did our, our, well, it was supposed to be a soft open, but Friday night we were absolutely packed. I think that's how these things are going nowadays, though. I mean, we had so many people around the lake. When the community is behind you, like I say, the same thing with Silver Iguana. I mean, the community is just so behind uh, Hook and Spoon and was so excited to have us there that literally while, while I'm there doing bar setup, you know, we had people stopping in and asking us, if, are you open yet? Are you open yet? So, you know, it was just a matter of as soon as they saw 10 cars in the parking lot, they all came. And we had a great soft open. Um we're going to open up again this Thursday night for dinner, do dinner again all through the weekend. And then I think the plan eventually here in a couple of weeks is, is, like I say, to open up six or seven days a week um, and do lunches and dinners. So, like I say, come one, come all to that as well. It's really not as far, I promise you, as you think it is. And, you, and you'll have a great meal and, and a great drink. Yeah, and I think we're seeing some really interesting places open in the non what we would call non-traditional rochester area yeah i mean you mentioned you know you say farmers which um you know chris is another great guy you know he's a professional you know he's he's another guy i've known from the scene for a while i I met him at a a liquor trade show uh, i think the state liquor authority trade show a year and a half ago now um you know when he was talking about opening up this place and was just super excited like you say when I get excited when places, like I say, are opened by industry people. Oh, yeah. Um, many times I've been involved with places that aren't opened by industry people. And, um, and you know, it's just, like I say, it's it's better. I, I enjoy working with people who have the, the experience behind them and understand the rigors and the days ins and the days out because, like I say, it's, <laughs> I think I mentioned it earlier, you're going to work harder for less money than you ever thought possible. But again, it beats eight hours in a cubicle to me any day. Yeah. Beats six years of selling copiers. <laughs> so, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. You really do become, you know, the family meals really are. We call them family meals because, honestly, you you see these people as much as you see your your wives and your husbands and your children, you know, for better or for worse. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people have met their husbands and their wives in this industry. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's sometimes, you know, it has a way of working itself out. So, and so like I say, it's, it's a great group of people at hook and spoon. I have, I've been there for working with these folks about a month now and, um, they're absolutely great. I love all of them. And honestly, I don't, it's 2 AM and when we got to shut it down, I don't want to shut it down. Like it's a lot of fun. Like I do not mind going into work every day. And I think that translates into the customer experience. I mean, you, yeah. can, you can tell when you're in a restaurant or you're in a bar where the people just are punching the clock and don't really believe in what they're doing and don't enjoy being there. I think it really translates. Well, I can also see the excitement. I mean, I can see how interested you are just as you talk about it. I mean, it's hard to hide when, you, when you've got some enthusiasm about a place, you know? Well, and the um, I've just really loved the transition from – and I mean, I've been back and forth between kitchens and bars, even very recently. I 
I just really love the drink side of things. And I love, um, you know, having the opportunity, like I say, to kind of bring the whole, I've always kind of prided myself in doing culinary cocktails. And so where as much possible, again, we're doing, we're doing house-made syrups. We're doing um, as many ingredients in-house as we can. I mean, we're making our own orgeat. We're making our own ginger syrup. Um, you know, as, so I think that now that leap has finally been made to, even out in Livingston County, bartending has expanded beyond, you know, pouring beers and pouring shots, which we will pour you beers and we will pour you shots. But, you know, you can also come out there now and get a great, you know, craft cocktail. Yeah. Um, I, I want to go to the, the opposite side of this whole consulting thing. So it means you've come into, we're not going to talk about specific places now because we're not, we're not out here to bash any staffs or anything like that. Um, but... I mean, when you come into these places, sometimes you're finding interesting things that need to be remedied, interesting things need to be fixed, I assume. Um, That's why I like kind of new places, because they haven't gone down the road of making those mistakes yet. Yeah. And where I will say is where, you know, um, I learned a lot of bad practices, I would say, from... Dining dining out, the eating and drinking experience within the last 10 to 15 years, I think, has changed. And that is just, I think, having something to do with the generation that is coming up and, you know, even clientele that, have been, that has been dining out for a while and wants to be more connected to, again, local quality food. You know, I think we're starting to really realize what... Um, you know, factory farms shipping tomatoes in in the dead of winter from Mexico or wherever where they're thrown on a truck and picked green and, you know, piped with whatever gas, you know. Um, so I'm always a big promoter of, you know, we don't run burgers that have tomatoes on them in February because tomatoes aren't growing around here in February. So... I think more it's been kind of a reflection of the the way the dining and drinking culture has changed. I think people, um, like I say, don't cook as much, but they a home-cooked meal has always been like the best meal, right? But now if you're not able to gather your kids around the table and do the home-cooked meal all the time, you st- but in your eating out more, you still want that experience and you still know that want to know that what you're eating isn't going to kill you. So um, I will say, you know, I have seen some places that have had um, less than ideal storage conditions for their chicken. Sure. You know, the, but hey, it's profit and we still got to sell it. Well, okay, well, no, we're not going to do that. And, you know, I still have seen some places that I think the biggest thing is, Owners, chefs, bartenders these days are realizing they can't be everything to everybody. And so I think that was the biggest thing I saw when I first got into the industry, say, 10 to 12 years ago, whereas it was still this concept um, of we had to have everything on the menu because someone might come in one day and order this. And instead, there's been a focus on instead of doing... I always say instead of doing 50 things, you're never going to do those 50 things well, right? 
you're going to end up doing 50 mediocre things and probably 30 mediocre things and 20 things that really aren't that great. <laughs> and so I think you've seen it reflected in menus where especially food menus have been pared down because people are realizing, okay, we're going to do 10 or 12 things really well. We're going to try and stay seasonal. We're going to try and stay local because, like I say, we have such a great bounty, especially on the agricultural side, even on the meat side of things. You know, you've seen, again, what Kevin McCann is sourcing or, um, you know, Joe's Meat Market in Ontario comes to mind, which is really like a slaughterhouse and butchery that works with the farmers to bring in animals that are raised the right way um, and butchered the right way. And still at a very reasonable price that you can feed to your family. Like, I think we've finally, like, it's just occurred to us, Red Jacket Orchards again, I feel like people in New York City, like, they've been a thing at the green market in New York City for years. Which is amazing, yeah. You know, and now it's like finally in this region, we're all like, oh, hey, Red Jacket Orchards, which again, isn't just juices, it's like all the produce. And the beautiful thing about them is they freeze all their fruit stocks. So if you want to do something for like a bar program to get some cherries for them, to do some really good cherries instead of serving, you know, the bleached out formaldehyde, quote unquote, maraschino cherries in your Manhattan, like you can call them up and get that for your bar program now. So I think it's just been a rediscovery of what we actually have here in upstate New York. Um, you know, I always say, you know, the Hudson Valley, I think too, is maybe five or 10 years ahead of us as far as realizing what they have. But to me, well, Napa Valley doesn't have a thing on upstate New York and Hudson Valley and the Finger Lakes. Uh, like, I think we're right there in terms of what we offer in terms of, like, culinary bounty. Yeah, between culinary bounty, a burgeoning wine scene that is nationally renowned at this yeah. point, and the more we can all work together to highlight the great things we do and you know, cel celebrate seasonality. Uh, it's what you hear from people that come back from the West Coast or come back from different areas of the country is celebrating seasonality. And the the more we shy away from it and try to be, like you said, everything to everybody, uh, we, we don't grow hot climate grapes for wines. Right. Uh, we, we don't, we don't have the best selection of citrus, a uh, very, very limited selection of local, local citrus here. Mm. <laughs> but again, you know, but so you now we're, now we're figuring things like I say that there's ways around that acid phosphate, which is something again that, you know, we're, we have, and this is just something I've learned from, again, we have a great community of culinary talent, which is so willing to talk about it all and share with one another. I'm learning new things every day from my peers. And that's one of the great things. All the bartenders we mentioned, all the cooks we've mentioned, all the butchers we've mentioned, they don't think they know everything and they're always willing to learn more and are setting up things like the USBG or the resources to always be learning, always pushing forward and try and elevate what's going on here in Rochester. And on the consumer side, and this is something I feel like I'm recently learning um, because I've always tried to set the bar high and been a perfectionist and been of the standpoint that if somebody comes and has a bad experience, they're not going to come back. So you've got to make sure that first experience is good. I don't know what it is about... Rochesterians, I think they get a bad rap because diners, drinkers around here are so willing to give you two, three, four chances, especially when you're a new place, to figure it out. And, you know, they are so understanding when it comes to, you know, you first open up a place, service is always rough. You know, there's all sorts of kinks when you open up a new bar and restaurant. There are all sorts of things you got to figure out. 
And this local community is so understanding about, you know what, it was their first week open, and it was awesome. There were maybe a couple of things that they got to work on, but I'm going to come back in two or three weeks because they're probably going to have it figured out. And I think that's an interesting point. It's something I struggle with sometimes um, in that my standards my standards are high. I, I really do expect – I don't have a Rochester curve. I, and I, I don't think we should, as people who are um, enthusiasts, I don't think we should have a Rochester curve anymore. I think we really need to expect expect high levels of execution – um, expect concepts to not just be wrote in the same over and over again, uh, reworked, reworked everything. Um, but there, there's this balance between this the first time you're out. I think you still need to see glimmers. I think you still need to see yeah. something. You know, if, if somebody goes out and lays a complete egg the first time out, um, it's going to be hard to get me back in the restaurant unless somebody I trust tells me that I should be going back there, you know, but you know, you can put up with some weird service. You can put up with, Oh, this just, just doesn't make any sense, but you still got to be getting some solid hits out there. You know, you have to hit, you have to get some hits. And I think what'll happen is like I say, as the bar is set higher and higher and higher, I think that's going to happen more and more. And that, that curve will start to go away just because there are, so many good places now in Rochester. And what I say, Rochester is becoming very tough now. I don't think you see the places, even like you did five, six years ago. Yeah, I'm the same way where, like, I don't want to see something that's the new hot spot just because it's the new spot, right? And it uh, happens. We, like we still have a lot of that here. You still get a little bit of that. But, like, I think of some places that have opened up very recently that, I know are just killing it because they know how to do it right. Like Nosh comes to mind. Radio Social comes to mind. And so as more and more of those places open up, the pie in Rochester is only so big. And so what I do say, though, is the places who don't get it figured out eventually aren't going to be open too long. I think you're starting to see a lot of places that will turn over in 6 to 12 months. Yeah, I think we are getting to that point where – it's not you can't just be new and stick around forever because you were new. Yeah. So, well, I don't want. I, I guess we'll leave it on that note. You don't want to be mean, Chris. I'm not. I, it's, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's mean. I think. I think we're. I think we're finding, in a really good way, that our level of expectations are getting higher, and that we, as a scene, we should be expecting more. We should be expecting places to come out firing, and to have a unique voice, to have something cool to bring to us. Um, and you know what? I think that's, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic about where we're going right now. I mean, on the opposite side of the coin, while I was being Mr. Nice Guy, I mean, I will say, uh, me as someone who really hasn't had, you know, a brick and mortar establishment started out with a food truck and an underground membership club. I will say part of why I feel like I've been able to be successful is because unfortunately there is a lot of mediocrity in Rochester. Sure. And people just came to accept it for whatever reason. And so I do think, though, that we're, we're starting to weed that out, fortunately. Yeah, and I, I think people's tastes have changed somewhat. And there's, there's always going to be tastes for, for the things that have been traditional Rochester restaurants. That's all, I think that's always going to be there. But I think you're right with, with, the, with the, the new crowds that are passionate about food in one way or another, whether it's from food TV or from 
you know, just being, just wanting to hit that local seasonal thing. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunities for people who want to try to do interesting things, normal things, if you will. Normal things. Oh, look at that. Can we plug the normal thing one oh, more time? We're going to plug? I, I think we should. Speaking of a place that's doing it very well and a group that's doing it very well, again, normal supper and cocktail. We're taking our Not Your Father's Milkshake on the road this year. We were taking it to Rochester to one of the finest joints in town, Nosh, over on Russell Street. Sunday, August 27th, 11 to 3. Come one, come all. Cocktail versions, milkshake versions of cocktails. There you go. Um, with, like I say, celebrity chef Joe banging out the brunch <laughs> festival style fare. Um, guy kills it every Sunday with his normal brunch. I'm sure what he's bringing out for ours um, will be no less stellar. Really looking forward to it. Hope everybody will come out for that. Good on you, man. Thank you for having me, sir. Always a pleasure to see you. Bring the milkshakes, and I'm sure the crowds will come around. Drink all four of them. Like It can be done, <laughs> I assure you. <laughs> Thanks, bud.